Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, I hope you enjoyed that hot, sunny spring weather we had because in a few hours it will be gone. I'm not kidding when I tell you this. Right now, depending on where you are in the state of Mississippi, it's give or take 80 degrees. 80 degrees right now, 82 here in the metro where Haydad is in Starkville. It's about 80 degrees. Same thing with Rippy down on the coast. I assume just a little bit warmer. The low today, tonight, in a few hours where I sit, is 32 degrees. The temperature is going to drop 50 degrees in a few hours. Got to love that Mississippi weather. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you this afternoon. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. And guys, I hope you enjoyed spring because it came and went in like 72 hours. Does that happen when like, the groundhog sees its shadow, but it's holding a knife? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going on. One of those on. shadows that moves even though you're yeah. not moving? Yeah. Yeah. So you know what? It'll be back. What do they say in Mississippi if you don't like the weather? Wait 10 minutes. I love a nice shorts day in February. Nothing like kind of just teasing the spring, maybe the golf season a little bit. Well, you could have got 18 holes been... in today, Rippy. How did you I not know. do that? I know. School and work and stuff. Yeah. Being uh, an adult, it's just yeah. terrible. I had, to, I had to clean my porch this morning before I came to work, and I got so hot I took my shirt off. Which is not good because Gross. the parking lot at the, the local school can, if you're in the right spot, like see the backyard of my house. So I'm sitting here cleaning off my porch as soccer mom drives little Johnny to school. But other than that, it was that hot. And then tomorrow, it's going to be freezing cold. So welcome to Mississippi. Glad you're a part of the show with us this afternoon. And on that note, I rarely get jealous of a, a job because I think I have a pretty cool job. But... I'm watching a video right now. I've just got it pulled up of Dan Patrick, the Dan Patrick Show. Uh, he and, and his team of producers uh, have an outdoor s- studio, makeshift studio, set up uh, on the practice range of the AT&T, I think it's still AT&T, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am going on this weekend. So I, I wouldn't rather be in many places, but I think that's one of them. However, when the PGA Tour makes its way to Mississippi here in the fall. I was just fall, about to say. We've got some special things planned for you that we've never done before uh, involving that tournament. The tournament upgraded, and the way we cover that and what we'll be doing with that is going to upgrade as well. So uh, I'm reminded that even though Dan Patrick's out there you know, in beautiful California sitting at Pebble Beach, we're going to do something really cool along those lines as well, even though Hey Dad's not exactly the biggest golf guy in the world. Hey, you know, when that happens, I mean, I, I, I'll caddy for you, Borky. 
And there's alcohol there. like everywhere. So this is what that's exactly right. I'm going to read the greens. I'll hand you your clubs and I'll drink your beer. That is that's that's <laughs> that's what my caddying and I will make. I will ruthlessly insult anyone who plays against you. That's what a good. I will get in their does. head. I will get in their head. 601-879-4395. If you want to text the show, you can on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. And we have a lot to cover in the next three hours. I don't know how we're going to fit this all in one show, and we may not be able to, but we are going to try first. Uh, the Combine invitees are out, and Ole Miss and Mississippi State both, I believe, set a personal record and are among uh, the leaders in the United States, I'd say the United States, uh, the leaders in college football sending players to the Combine. Uh, Ole Miss will send nine players to the Combine. Mississippi State will send eight. Seventeen players from Ole Miss or Mississippi State will be participating in the Combine most that that has ever, or most ever, uh, for those two schools. The preseason baseball coaches poll is out. The predicted order of finish as well as the first and second team all-SEC teams will uh, digest that a little bit later on in the show. And on the hoops front, we'll get into here in about 10 minutes. Ole Miss won, but it was really ugly, but they still won. It just didn't look pretty. Mississippi State and LSU played what was a really, really, really fun basketball game last night, high-level basketball. Mississippi State came up short in overtime in that one. Major League Baseball is considering – some pretty significant sweeping rule changes. We had a listener text us uh, about that yesterday. I did a little digging and found that, yeah, Major League Baseball is considering things that could change, not the complexion of the sport, but change the way that the games day in and day out are actually played. We'll get into that a little bit later as well. And we will grade something that I came up with earlier today. The 2018 season for Matt Luke and for Joe Moorhead and then we will grade separately everything that they have done since. So that'll be coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. We'll give grades for the season, and we'll give grades for the two recruiting classes, or the two signing days, as well as the coaching staff turnover, which both schools have had a, a pretty significant amount. Uh, some NBA trade deadline talk, and potentially even more. That's a mouthful. It's a lot that we're going to try to squeeze in today in those three hours. That's a lot of Mississippi too. Not a lot. Of, we got there's some national stuff in there, but we got a lot to talk about here locally. That's good stuff. Yeah, and just sweeping thoughts before we dive in on the hoops front. Last night, two dramatically different games between old for Ole Miss and Mississippi State, and the way they looked. But high level basketball late in Starkville last night just couldn't overcome a talented LSU team in overtime. Well, I mean, and had the lead. You know, most of the game, they, they were behind 16-8. to eight. They go on a 17 nothing run to grab the lead, uh, led by as many as 10 in the second half. But if we've watched LSU this year, we know that double-digit comebacks are nothing to them. They make them all the time. And I'll tell you what, uh, Nas Reed, you could take that you – know, what, what did uh, John Harris talk about Jeffrey Simmons say? You could put him in any locker room right now in the NFL and nobody would say anything. The same goes for Nasri. You could take him to any NBA team right now and say, just go play, and he would fit in just fine. That guy is a monster and uh, will be a very high draft pick. I have a feeling you would take his luck as well. That, yeah. The, well, I mean, you know, it's <laughs> interesting. Come that on. How does that shot about, go in? Will Wade was asked about that in postgame. He's like, look, in, in, in uh, SEC play, Nas has been our best three-point shooter. 
So I don't have a problem taking the shot, but yeah, that that's a heck of a shooter's role. When when it caromed off the rim, I was like, okay, State's going to have a shot, and then it just, it, it just hung for a second. And I was like, that's going to go in. I could, I could I had enough time between the bounce and the drop to say that's going to go in, and it sure enough did, and that that was the end of the game for uh, for MSU. You can see the crowd shot, the fans behind the basket. There was one Mississippi State fan in particular that when the ball hit the front of the rim. It's like he had foresight. Everybody else was standing still, and he just drops his head into his hands like, oh, no, that's about to go in. He was the only one that reacted when the ball hit the front of the rim, almost like he had ESP or something. Well, he did because, that, that, like I said, that was a very, a very fortunate role. But, but that guy, he had a good, it was a good look, a good shot, and he got the shooter's role. And we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into that game and its implications later on. A, a big Saturday now coming up. Uh, for different reasons for Ole Miss and Mississippi State on the basketball front. And Rippy on the other side, ugly game, really, really ugly game. But I guess at the end of the day, a win is just that, a win. Yeah, I mean, they certainly needed it because you think that game is the difference between them being 5-4 and four at the halfway mark of SEC play and kind of having everything really in front of them and being four and five after such a great start and then losing, you know, five in a row. So it was certainly a big swing game for him. It was not a work of art by any stretch, but they found a way. And, you know, coming into that game a year ago, after losing four in a row, it may have been a different story was one of the things I took away from it. Yeah, definitely. More on that in a little bit. And I, I have to gloat a little bit, even though come – July, it may very well end up being the same, but man, I told you, hey, Dad, the Lakers were not getting Anthony Davis before oh. the trade deadline. Well, it doesn't matter. No, probably not. And, and the deal's still going to be on the table come July, but still, in case you missed it, uh, New Orleans basically just said, nah, no thanks to the Lakers. The trade deadline in the NBA ended, oh, about an hour and 15 minutes ago. Uh, the Grizzlies made a couple of deals. One of them is a bit of a head-scratcher. Uh, if you're a Grizzlies fan listening, which there are a few of you, we will get into that today as well. But I told you, man, there was just... And the strife that that has caused in Los Angeles, I don't know how they overcome it. Oh, they'll figure it out. They'll hey, just because I mean, they have LeBron, they'll win games and make the playoffs. Well, I mean, and but. they're prof- This is the thing that people have to understand. They're professionals. They they have to be professional. It has to be okay. This this was going to happen. It didn't happen. Time to move forward. LeBron's and, you know, a lot to, to the playoffs, handle them. It is, but that's that's their job to do get through that. Whew. We'll get into hoops next. It's Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you all afternoon. Richard will be back tomorrow. He's calling some hoops tonight for one of the big networks, and uh, we will have him back for a full preview show tomorrow. But next, we'll dive into Old Miss's win over Texas A&M and Mississippi State losing in overtime to LSU at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. You can text the show 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. Please don't text and drive, though. Be safe about it, but be a part of the show this afternoon. Our friend Dan in Charleston asks if there's any sort of update on the Jay Hobson thing situation, if you want to call it that, with Art Bryles and the 
lack of hiring him, I guess, if you want to put it that way. And, and to be honest with you, Dan, I, I haven't seen one. I don't know of one. I think we're kind of still in the same spot we were in yesterday where there was conflicting statements. You had the university release a statement that pretty much just said he's not being hired here and this is the last thing we're going to say about it. A few hours later, the football coach releases a statement of his own that uh, vehemently disagreed with his bosses at Southern Miss and wanted to hire Art and, and disagreed with the decision. Since then, I haven't heard much, haven't seen much, haven't even seen or heard of a, a rumored candidate. I'm sure there are plenty, just uh, nothing that has come to the forefront. But guys, that I am still, I was asked about it in an interview this morning that I did, I am still blown away that in the public like that you had administration saying one thing and football coach saying the other you don't normally see that you normally see that united front you know from top down and that that's why i said what i said yesterday that you know i don't know that it's going to be this week or this month or anything but this this was a blow to to jay hobson at usm and i don't know how you know, he's going to be able to look at his administration going forward and say, you know, I have faith in them to do right by me. But by that same token, the same can be said of the administration. So I don't know how much longer that relationship is going to last. And none of it was necessary. Like, it's such an unnecessary Correct. thing to do. Even like, if it, you disagree with your administration, they didn't throw you under the bus. They didn't throw Art Bryles under the bus. They didn't say anything other than he's not being hired here. It didn't have to go to that. And this is the hill of all hills you're going to die on? Yeah, that just it just doesn't I, make I a whole lot it. of sense. But, I mean, I, as far as on the football field, Jay Hobson will be, will be fine. They will have a, a good competitive team again this year. And I have a feeling he's going to hire a coordinator that doesn't come with a whole ton of baggage. It's a net positive for Southern Miss if the administration and the football coach can work out their obvious differences because – it's just it's a net positive that Art Bryles is not on your campus. No matter how good of a football coach he is, it's a net positive that he is not there, and it's good for Southern Miss moving forward. Whether or not the football coach actually agrees with that, it's a different story. It's a net positive for them. Yeah, I mean, you know, they say there's no such thing as bad publicity, but that's not correct. Sometimes there is, and that's what uh, this week was for USM, but. They'll hire, you know, they're going to hire a coach. They're going to, you know, go out and play football in a few months, and, and all of this will be, be forgotten. But like I said, I don't know how to, if it'll be forgotten in terms of Hobson and the administration. Yeah. Speaking of bad publicity, there's also bad basketball games. Ole Miss and Texas A&M last night, a game that featured 30 turnovers and 31 fouls. Uh, Ole Miss beat a team that they were much better than, which is really all that matters, but. Um, didn't inspire much confidence other than that, did it, Rippy? No, but... That's the most important thing. The most important thing that weighs more than anything else combined in this scenario is they won the game. Particularly with the way the league is this year, and they made some decent, they did some decent things defensively down the stretch to help them win that game. And you finally saw kind of Terrence Davis, you know, he jumped two passing lanes. You know, they were down six. He jumped a passing lane back to back possessions that led to five points and cut it to one, 
which is really what kind of springboarded them to take control of that game. So you saw a senior kind of step up and, and play with Kermit Davis, called it the desperation of, of a senior kind of in his last month and a half of college basketball. But, yeah, I mean, it was an ugly game. It was, you know, half-filled gym, you know, laxed environment, I guess is what you we would call it, and got out to a big lead, let it back, and then were down as many as nine in the second half and just kind of pulled one out of the fire. Certainly, certainly an ugly game, but... You know that was one of the th- one of those games where a loss would have really sunk them, and they avoided that if nothing else. Yeah, and then they get to go to Georgia on Saturday. Who, I, I mean, you you may get Georgia's best shot because they think maybe they can beat you at home, but that's not a not a good Georgia team at all. Uh, so it's a game, and it's an early tip too as well. Is it noon here or noon there? Either way, it's it's a early tip off, so you can't expect a, a raucous atmosphere in Athens in two days. Yeah, and it's a it's a game Ole Miss really needs to have. They need to go two and zero this week after the last couple of weeks. But you know, Georgia's played decent in spots. They don't have very good guard play at times, and they're really lax with the ball and turn it over a lot. But I mean, but other than that, you know, (laughs) yeah. But I mean, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was? I mean, they. (laughs) I mean, they played. LSU tough enough in Baton Rouge. They beat a pretty good Texas team a couple of weeks ago, so they played okay in spots. They just can't really put full games together. But with the way Ole Miss is playing, that that's not going to be an easy test for them by any stretch. This is on the uh, the rundown. I'm gonna steal this question though, Borky. What was up with Kermit Davis last night? I, I was at MSU's in the MSU's media room talking with uh, a few of those guys. David Brandt was there as well, and I saw your tweet about I don't know where Kermit Davis is and. I said it, and right at that moment is when he, he walked back to the bench on television. Well, what was the deal with him? Uh, I think he just kind of fell under the weather. Said he started getting hot flashes before the game. Was not feeling very bad. Sat down a lot more than he normally does. He's usually pretty active, you know, pacing up and down the sideline. Was confined to his seat for a good bit of the game. Um, I think whatever the illness was really kind of acted up while they're in the locker room, and it well, took him a couple extra minutes to come out whatever you would like to make of that. Yeah, you just hope he's okay because he didn't look like himself last night for sure. When you got to go, you got to oh, go. God. Yeah, just as simple as that. That's, that's a fact of life uh, right there. You just hope it's a stomach bug of some kind, nothing yeah, that I'm has sure any fine. long-term effects. But Sure, he didn't seem to think it was anything major, but you know, just kind of not. He said about three hours before the game he started feeling, feeling kind of bad. So... I don't think it'll be anything that has any lingering or long-term effects. It seemed like, you know, stomach bug something. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to diagnose it. But it didn't seem serious. But you do have a degree from Ole Miss. That's basically being a doctor. Well, Pretty if much. If you want to call me doctor, I'll respond to it. <laughs> doctor Rippy. Get a doctorate. If I were ever to go back to school and get a doctorate in journalism, I would go by Dr. Borky. Dr. Borky. Unless there's somebody sick on an airplane and then... I put my headphones on and bury my head into my seat. Anybody here a doctor? He is that guy over there. This man's having a heart attack. Do you have anything I can read about it? (laughs) I'll write him a heck of an obituary. Yeah, hey, if you want me to to give the the, the police statement, I can do that for sure. It'll sound really good. Yeah. Speaking of that, or at least on on the the health front, Devontae Shuler played the – entire game with regular rest last night but he did not look comfortable especially late in that game on that stress fractured foot um he played and he's playing through it he's been playing through it but 
Uh, you wonder if there was something activated or triggered last night through the course of the game. I think it's just one of those things where it's going to feel better some days than it does other days because, you know, at Florida at the beginning, I guess it was a week ago last night or whatever it was, you know, around seven days ago, he looked about as healthy as he'd been since he was diagnosed with the injury. So, you know, it's a wear and tear thing. They're, they're kind of monitoring how much he practices, how much he stays on his feet or off his feet in between games. It's just going to be one of those things, I think, where they, they play it by ear on a game-by-game game basis, and I think he's going to have nights where it hurts him more than others, and I think last night was the case. Terrence Davis had a good night, a really good night, took care of the basketball for the most part for him and had a really efficient game, rebounded 19 points on 6 of 13 shooting. Perfect at the free throw line. Brian Tyree was also good last night, 22 points on 7 of 15 shooting. Uh, you got a decent contribution, didn't shoot very well from Henson, and Dominic Olenicek actually had four rebounds in, in this one, so a, an upgrade from their loss against Mississippi State a few days ago. Henson played pretty well. It doesn't necessarily stow up in the stat sheet, but did some good things defensively. Grabbed a couple pretty good rebounds. Didn't turn it over. Played 31 minutes last night. And then the thing that stuck out with Terrence Davis was a career-high seven steals because that's really where Ole Miss won the game. I believe they had 31 points off of 18 Aggie turnovers, and that was the difference in the game, particularly late in the second half. We'll put a bow on that for now. Ole Miss does get a win over what should have been an overmatched Texas A&M team, but when you have a reserve that doesn't play very much, makes six of seven threes, it makes games a little bit more dicey than they probably should be. They will play Georgia on Saturday at noon uh, for their next game, a game that they've got to win, just like they had to win last night. We'll flip the page over to Mississippi State and LSU, a nail-biter, a really quality basketball game if you were a neutral observer but a heartbreaker for Mississippi State fans last night. We'll dive into that next at Sports Talk Mississippi Live in the Renaissance Bank studio. Just saw this come across the uh, old timeline here. Bob Stoops, yes, the retired Oklahoma coach Bob Stoops, has been officially introduced as the head coach of the Dallas XFL franchise. You're just now seeing that? Just now seeing that. By the way, it is Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Yeah, I'm just seeing this, and my first thought is, but why? Why not? You don't think Bob Stoops could have been offered or interviewed for any of these NFL head coaching jobs that came open this year? What was it, nine of them? I think that this is a little, little, little less stress. Money's good. Don't have to miss any Oklahoma games. Why not? Why not do it? And then you know, just get your foot back in the water, see how it goes, and then in a year, you know, see where it takes you. you can, it's not like Bob Stoops is, is going to be forgotten. It's not like he can't make a phone call and say, "Hey, I'm back on the market," and you know, five colleges and five pro teams wouldn't throw a rope out to him. So yeah, you've got to wonder. Go ahead. Uh, I don't know this for a fact, but that was my first impression: is that it's probably a fairly subdued workload than what he's used to. Got to wonder if the the NFL, the XFL, is kind of mad at themselves for starting a year after the AAF. I think they got sucker punched by that, though, didn't they? Yeah, they they came out and and announced everything, and then bam, here comes the the AAF. Which, by the way, we have an AAF slate of games on Saturday. If you're into that kind of thing, yeah. Who's not into the football? Let's go. I'm watching. 
But for now, let's talk some hoops. Mississippi State, again, I keep saying this, it was a really quality basketball game. It was. College basketball is a bad product. Generally speaking, it's not fun to watch. Not the story last night in Starfield. Mississippi State ends up losing by four in overtime to what was a locked-in LSU team. And when they're locked in, as we mentioned yesterday, they're just really tough to beat. Yeah, they got a lot of talent. I mean, they're big, physical, and Waters is such a force in the backcourt. He, he did a great job of forcing the issue on both ends of the court uh, for, for LSU. But that said, State played maybe its best basketball of the year for about 10 to 12 minutes of the first half and another 10 to 12 minutes of the second half. And then LSU started creeping back into the game. But for a few minutes there, they looked like the team that you expected to see back in November. Um but once again, roster management gets the better of Ben Hallen. And you know, this is the third time this has happened. He sits at the podium and he tells you, hey, you know, it's on me. But at what point do we say, well, I know that it's on you. Why don't you fix it? You know, Why don't you take care of it? Because once again, Robert Woodard and Tyson Carter lead the charge in the first half. Uh, Carter had 12 and Woodard had 8 in the first half. And then in the second half, they played maybe a combined five minutes. Woodard only played one minute of the, of the second half. And that happened against Ole Miss when he was, he was, he was brought a lot of energy and was, was playing well. And, and Howland, you know, rationalized it by saying, look, you know, when Nas Reed got that second foul and, and LSU went a little small, we could play with Woodard in there. But when they have their full lineup in there, he's not really a great matchup for those 6'11 guys. And I, and I get that, but I mean, You've got Abdul Adu out there who, who scored his first bucket in overtime. And, I mean, I understand that he gives you maybe something, something a little bit defensively, but Woodard can make up for what he lacks in height with his athleticism and the energy that he's playing with. So, Howland's got to get a handle on this, man, because that, 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 in my opinion, it's cost him two wins. You know, if he had managed the roster correctly and played the guys who had the hot hand the whole game, I think State would have wins over Ole Miss and Starkville and, and against LSU last night. We get a text here that says, simple recap of the Mississippi State game. Woodard should have played a lot more in the second half. Is it that simple? It, it It's not that simple, but that's a big part of it. I mean, I mean look at these two guys, good. Carter and Woodard. They, they played, if I'm doing math correctly, 31 minutes combined and missed mm-hmm. two shots combined yeah. and yeah. had 30 points. And Carter only really played a good bit in the second half as MSU got into foul trouble. So, you know, if State had stayed out of foul trouble, I don't know how much Tyson would have played. And he and Woodard were the ones who sparked that 17-0 run that put State out, you know, nine points in the first half. So it's, it's just – it's almost – it's inexplicable. It's it's almost like a head coach who's got a running back who's averaging six and a half yards per carry and refusing to give him the ball. I don't know what – I don't know what's going on in Starkville with the head coaches these days. Vic Schaefer seems to be immune to it. But – it, it, it's something that, you know, as the head coach, that's your responsibility. And and your assistants, too. I don't know what the assistants are doing on the bench, and they're not saying, hey, Ben, we got to get so-and-so back in the game. Let's let's do that. It didn't happen last night, and then, you know, that's I think that's part of the reason that, that State just couldn't, you know, couldn't get over the – couldn't hold on to the lead. State only played six players in the second half outside of, you know, Carter's small contribution. But basically they went with their starting five, which was the two Weatherspoons, Peters, Perry, and Adu, and then Holman played. And then that's pretty much it. I mean, you got to have a better rotation than that. And Holman was better. I mean, he got some inside looks and, and did some things. But, man, like you said, it's gotten past the point of that's on me. Like, if you get an arg- in an argument with your wife, and, and I have been in a few, even though we've only been married for a little while, I, I make her mad because I'm stupid. She doesn't want to hear, oh, yeah, my bad, my bad. Yeah. She wants to hear, here's why I'll never do that again. Or here's why I know that was wrong. Same thing if you have kids. You don't want 
my bad, Dad. No, you want. I failed the test because I didn't study harder, and next time I'm going to study harder. You want an explanation, not just my bad. My bad does nothing for anybody. And if that's all they're getting with players, impact players, that are contributing in close games and making a difference, not playing when it matters most, you need more than a my bad. Yeah. In that isolated instance, though, I was just curious. In that isolated instance, though, it seems like LSU's size in the roster, like in their athleticism, is he's not the first coach that's kind of overthought his roster. And I would have yeah. to imagine that's probably some of it, right? Probably so. Probably so. But, I mean, like I said, at some point you have to ride the hot hand, especially in basketball. And, you know, Woodard, and every time Woodard has stepped on the court this year, I thought his shot selection has been good. I think his defense is good. He plays a lot of energy. Uh, th- th- there's no reason for him to, to only see one minute of game time uh, past the, the past the halftime mark. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We get a text here that uh, Gill and Collins says Mississippi State just can't finish games. That was horrible game management at the end of regulation and overtime. And as you mentioned, hey, Dad, that's kind of a recurring theme. It has been. It has been this year for Mississippi State. They, they, they can get some leads, but they have they do have trouble holding on to them. That's why you know I thought the Auburn game was very impressive that they were able to to get the lead and hold on to it and extend it even in, in the closing minutes of the game. The Ole Miss game, you know, to come back that was impressive. The uh, the one in Oxford, but this is you know, like I said, this is two wins at home that you should have had that would be good wins for your net. You know, State I think it's what twenty eight in the net today. Those two wins they probably are top twenty. Um, so I mean. When you look at you know, this team, they're sixteen and six now. You still, you know, the metrics love trips. them. They're in great shape still right now for they the NCAA are, but, tournament. But you know, you have losses, or I wouldn't say you have losses, but you have tough games coming up against at Tennessee. They're at Tennessee and at Auburn. Those are going to be tough, and so you, you almost sort of have to win the rest. Right now, you're four and five. You're, you got Kentucky on Saturday. I, I think that's probably going to be a loss for MSU. So four and six. If you if you're counting those two losses. Those two games as losses in Auburn and Kentucky. So now you're four and eight. To be over five hundred, you've got to go six and zero the rest of the way. You can't lose another game. You know to finish five hundred, which I think finishing five hundred would put them into the tournament. You know you're five and one. So I mean, there's not a lot of room for error anymore for Mississippi State. Get another text that says if Holman was playing more productive like last year, we wouldn't be having these conversations and losing those close games. He gives you the size and length that they don't have off the bench. Yeah, that's a big mystery to me. I mean, we, we said it yesterday, and it it holds true. He's got a skill set that translates to the NBA. If he could ever just turn it on, yeah. he'd be an impact player in the SEC easily. You would think, but it, he played better last night, though. That was good to see. He, he played with some emotion, uh, got, some, got some easy buckets, but had a couple of, of nice plays as well where he was able to take his man off the dribble. Still wasn't great from out on the perimeter and looked hesitant to take three-point shots. You know, he used to be a guy that if he got the ball with any space out there behind the line, he was firing. And a couple of times last night he, he hesitated. He, he would take a dribble and bring the ball inside the three-point line and try to get down low. So I don't know if his confidence is still there or, or is all the way back one way or the other. So this is a team that, you know, like you said, the, the the pieces are 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 greater than the sum of the parts. You know, they have good players, but they they have yet to have a stretch this season, especially in SEC play, where they just play as one and they play as a good team. Yeah, and it doesn't help when you get zero points 
zero points at all and no free throw attempts from Lamar Peters. Yeah, Peter Peters was just off and you know he's they talked about it at Ole Miss. He's battling a sprained wrist and I get that, but offensively right now he's just a little bit of a liability. So, you know, he's getting some assists, but his game is not complete right this second. And don't don't leave Nick Weatherspoon out of that either. 4 of 12 from the field. We get an interesting tweet here. We'll dissect this next because it's an interesting way to look at it from Anthony. He says, in his opinion, Howland is taking the heat for some underlying issue inside the team. He says that he's been coaching for 30 years. No one will ever convince him that he's overlooking putting one of the best freshmen to ever lace him up at Mississippi State in the game during the second half. We'll look at that next and then some games coming up around the SEC as well. More Hoops Talk coming your way at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. of the next hour involving Major League Baseball and potential rule changes. Something just broke here. So I'll have to cross that off the list. There's about a half a dozen things that they're considering, and one of them they have, I guess, technically made a change, but there isn't really much changing here. The disabled list in Major League Baseball will no longer be called the disabled list. It, it will be now referred to as the injured list. That is huge. Yeah. Changes the game. The league will make the change. This is quoting from Jeff Passan at ESPN. The league will make the change out of concern that the term disabled for injured players falsely conflates disabilities with injuries and an inability to participate in sports. So it's merely a, a PC verbiage change than anything else. There was a consideration to... Uh, change it from 15 days to 10 days to manipulate rosters, all that stuff. They wanted to reestablish the 15-day DL and, and make all kinds of changes with the way they handled injured players in rehab in the minor leagues, and it sounds like all of that has been tabled for the sake of just being a little bit more sensitive, I guess. Well, I'm glad. It's going to take me a minimum of 18 months to stop saying DL. <laughs> At least. At the very least. Everybody's going to continue using DL. Yeah, I agree with that. Seems like a big waste of time. Especially when the the people in the league wanted to actually like make rule changes around how they used the disabled list. Instead, they just changed the name. We get uh, we, had a, we had a tweet here, and then we've had a couple of texts as well on this note. Um, I want to get to what Anthony brought up before, and, and I don't, I don't want to speculate, but is there an issue in the locker room there? I mean, there, it's still a team that is in great shape to make the NCAA tournament. They lost to a really good LSU team in overtime last night, but the questions are getting asked because that's what fans do after a loss. Is there any issues in the locker room? I don't think so. I mean, they certainly haven't reared their head on the court. You haven't seen any sniping, any backbiting uh, there, and you no. Know, when we talked to the players, I mean, last night, if you go back and watch my video, it's uh, available on my YouTube channel. Uh, you can see that, you know, Q and Reggie, they were just distraught. 
they were re- they took that loss hard. You can, you can just see it in their body language and the way they're answering questions. Very quiet, very subdued. Um, so I don't think that I don't think chemistry is the issue here. You know, if you go watch the game from Saturday when they when they won, you know, it seemed like the locker room. You know, they were very excited after the you saw the post game video that that Hell State basketball put up and watching them on on the court, you know, celebrating each other's achievements. That they, they looked like they were in a good mood. They felt like everybody was in a good mood. You know. Most of the game, the state had the lead, so I, I don't think that's the issue. Yeah, I mean, look, they just ran into a really good team last night and played a high-level basketball game in which they just fell, I mean, a centimeter short. If that three that sealed the game in overtime is a centimeter shorter, it doesn't go in the basket. Right. So, right, just... You've got to capitalize on opportunities, and that's been something that the team hasn't done very well this year. They've been in close games late and have either taken poor shots late or whatever the reason may be, haven't closed, but there's no reason to panic. And I saw a bit of angst, again, because that's what fans do after a loss, but they're still in, in fine shape. They're just fine if you're wanting to talk about them making the NCAA tournament Nothing changed about that last night. You would have liked to have that win. It would have been a resume builder, but losing that game is not going to be the difference between being in or out. They're not even on the bubble. Not really close to the bubble right now. Right. It's all good. The 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 the, the issue State has is this that coming up on their schedule, they have some games against lower team lower ranked teams on the net. If they lose those games, it's going to put them in trouble. So they got they 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 need to after this game against Kentucky, which you know. They'll, that's it's a free a shot at game. home. It, it is, and you know we'll see what happens. But after this game, you got to start stacking up some wins because if you get losses to Georgia, to Arkansas, again to South Carolina, if you lose two to South Carolina, I mean that's that's going to be bad. Yeah, I can't do that, especially at home. But hey, the schedule is tough. But you've got winnable games. I mean, you go to Arkansas. Bud Walton's never easy, but that's a team that you are better than, simply better than. Georgia, the next game, bad. You get Missouri, who's bad at home, and AM to close the season out, who is bad at home. Opportunities there. Yeah. They're good enough, easily. They just got to go do it. There's your analysis we'll for the day, your hard-hitting analysis. They just got to go do it. Get out there and do it. Put it on a T-shirt. You can do it. Go home to your families and say, you know, I heard Borky on Sports Talk say Mississippi State's just got to go do it. So, so far we have the Borky Go Do It t-shirt. <laughs> we'll check Nike for copyright violations. <laughs> and we have the Rippy Shut Up Nerds You're Getting a Swirly t-shirt. Content, content, content. We're full of it. I need to, I need to come up with a catchphrase. Major League Baseball is considering some rule changes that are, are actually pretty impactful on the game. We'll tell you what those are next and... Diagnose those a little bit. You can text us 601-879-4395. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Thursday afternoon at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can text the show, 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. You can be a part of the show this afternoon, but please do so safely. We actually got a text earlier in the show where I responded to 
in typing, not over the air. And I got a message back that they were driving and can't receive messages while they were driving. So at least one of you guys out there is being safe, but also being a part of the show with us this afternoon. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. We're going to turn the page, put basketball aside for now, and turn the page over to baseball. I read something today on The Athletic that says Major League Baseball is considering pretty significant rule changes in a certain few areas. So let's start with uh, let's start with the first one. I've got six here that I'm going to bring to you right now. And one of the proposals, and I cannot stand this one, so we're going to start with the one I hate the most, is that every pitcher has to face at least three batters. It's a proposal. It's not a change yet. It's out there. They're going to consider it. Every pitcher must face three batters. Good idea or awful idea? That one's bad. Yeah, I agree. That 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 that's. I'm talking about taking away a lot of a lot of strategy out of the game if you do that. That was a Major League Baseball proposal to the players union. Like this is legit. This isn't some reporter just throwing some things out there. This is something that is going to be considered. Under three batters that pitchers faced actually doesn't happen all that often, but the three batter minimum thing doesn't make any sense. That sounds like something that they would have to do in rec league because they only have the field for the next 45 minutes or something (laughs) stupid like that. It it would be like saying that a basketball team can only sub a player every four minutes. That would be like saying a football team can't change wide receivers in the same series. I mean, think about how stupid that, that that is just removing a basic fundamental part of the game which is matchups and pitching matchups and just basic baseball strategy they're trying to potentially take out of the game. I get what they're trying to do overall, but that's a step too far. Improve pace of play. I mean, I get that, I guess, but not, not, not great. Not a great idea. The genesis, I mean, if it is pace of play, great, but my goodness. I mean, who thought this was a, a bad or a good idea? Somebody did, but I mean, it's, it's just one of those things. That, that, I would imagine, you know, I, I, that, that, that at least one of these silly rules gets done every every year. There's probably something that's ridiculous that's not going to happen. I can't see this one happening. I can't see anybody voting for it because there are a lot of players. I mean, this, you said this goes to the Players Association. There are a lot of relief pitchers who, you know, they're on rosters because they may only pitch to one or two batters a game. You know, they need a lefty to come in for these two guys. So I I can't see this one going anywhere. It would also greatly affect how a team manages their 40-man. Yeah. Well, don't you think it affects how you – the problem with these pace of play ideas, and and, I'm sure we're going to talk about the idea that the DH may go away. Or they may, may become, I'm sorry, may become universal. At some point, when, when do you stop paying top dollar for managers? Because there's not going to be a lot of strategy left. It's going to be, hey, I'm going to fill out the lineup card with my nine best hitters and go. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that baseball coaches wear a uniform. Yeah. Because they used to be players. Right. We can go back to that. I mean, we can set the league back 100 years if we'd like to. A few texts came in on that. Alex and Starkville. Well, he says Vegas. I assume that means Starkville. He said pace of play know. would suffer due to fake injuries. People would 
face the one batter they would need to face, and suddenly their elbow's not feeling so good. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past anybody, though. No. Another one, you would have to go from having strategic managers to just basically clubhouse manamers. Manamers. Managers. Manamers? Manamers. That's like manners for men. <laughs> Sounds like an SNL skit. Uh, but yeah, that that's a good point. It's uh, I guess the one that Haydad just made. I'm reading through these. And, and to be fair, I'll give that guy credit. I, I read his text and I was like, that's a good point. Chris McComb says that would be a terrible rule. We have this rule in local Dixie youth to force coaches to develop pitching. Yeah, you don't really need to develop it once it's already at the major league level, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, this one's an interesting one. So, uh, Rippy and, and hey Dad, I need you guys to kind of help me out with this. So, the Players Association responded to the these rule proposals with something of their own. They are asking Major League Baseball to lower a team's draft position for failing to reach a specified win total in a certain number of seasons. A tank tax. Yes, that's exactly what that would be. It would prevent or try to prevent tanking. If you don't win a certain number of games in a certain number of years, the players' union proposed this one, you would sacrifice your draft status. They well, want the NBA, more teams trying because they want teams more teams spending money on the payroll and more players getting more money. I think this would actually help baseball immensely. I like it, but then you feel bad for a team that's just bad. You know, they're going to be. There may just be a team that look. They're just not very talented. You know, somebody who maybe like the Mar. Okay, the Marlins are not a good example because they're a tanking team by by nature, but. You know, if you're in a tough division and you've you've got two of the you know the top teams in the, in the league in your division and you got to play them that many, I mean, it, it's possible you could just be bad and not win enough games. So you, you get something like it's sort of objective what you're looking at, but it's it the the concept itself is a good one. Josh and Laurel says the NBA should do the same thing. The difference the NBA should do the same thing. They should, it, but the difference is Josh, the, the NBA, the collective bargaining agreement that the players have. They get paid so much. They get the highest percentage of revenue than any major professional sport, team sport, anyway. They get the highest amount of revenue. You've got players that you've never heard of making $15 million a year. The players get an insane amount of money in the NBA, so they would never fight for something like this because, as Rippy said, the the goal for the Players Association of Major League Baseball is to force teams to spend money to win games, which means the players inherently make more money. On the NBA side, they don't have to worry about that. So, I don't think the uh, the the rule for uh, the pitchers is going to happen. But this rule sounds like it might, might be able to get a little traction. It, it does make sense. And this next one, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Uh, an additional part of the Players Association's proposal to Major League Baseball was, as we've had a few texts, bring up the universal designated hitter. Uh, Rob Manfred says the players have sought for this for the better part of three decades, and it was part of the players' union's proposal. So the players, yet again, are asking for a universal designated hitter. It's the same thing. Creates more jobs, creates jobs for longer. You'll see a guy on the wrong side of 30 probably get a better contract if he's a good hitter because he didn't have to play the field. 
I would. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious why the players would want this. Yeah, you know, we just put the first. I mean, I would consider Edgar Martinez the first guy that I that I consider a designated hitter first. He's in the Hall of Fame now. So, I mean, I'm a little old school. I, I do like the strategy that having the, the you know the pitcher down there, but I also get that. I mean, what a pitcher's hit. I think you have it right here, right? Yeah. So baseball's got a boring problem, at least for the non-baseball fans. The purists are rolling their eyes, and I've said it on the show before, so I'm sure you guys are probably sick of it by now, but baseball, for the average sports fan that does not necessarily care about baseball, has a boring problem. And this doesn't help. Pitchers last season batted 115 with a 144 on-base percentage and a 149 slugging percentage and 4,500 at-bats. Going to the designated hitter just gives you 4,500 more at-bats for somebody that actually looks like they belong at the plate. I mean, let's do the math, right? We got a, we got a calculator here, right? Somebody's got one. I got one. So you got 4,500 at-bats, right? So hitting 250 in there would be what? 2,200 hits as opposed to – so that's a, that's a over a 1,000 more hits if they just hit 250. Yeah. I mean, sometimes – 1,000 more hits is going to lead to at least 300, 400 more runs, you would think. Man, they're, 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 that, that cures a boring problem, I agree. It does. It's a small thing. It takes some uh, – it does take some strategy out, though. It would make the double switch oh, yeah. almost obsolete and some other yes. things. But I'm not necessarily against this at all. I mean, sometimes it is funny to watch a pitcher just whiff at three, just fastballs down the pipe, right? Like, they have no business being in the batter's box. But generally, I like this one because more at-bats with capable hitters is better for baseball. There's a few more of these coming up, like a pitch clock, a reduction of mound visits, placing a runner on second base and extra innings. Oh, God, no. We'll discuss those next in Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. So we mentioned at the top of the show that Mississippi is going to experience a 50-degree decline in temperature in just a few hours, and that has already begun. Kevin sends me a tweet that says the temperature in Oxford is already at 58, and it was 78 when the show began. So, uh, wow. Welcome to Mississippi. Welcome to Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed the warm days while you can because it's going to be cold over the weekend and hopefully pick back up again next week. I don't think I explained it very well, exactly what we're talking about here. So the Players Association of Major League Baseball basically send each other dueling proposals. And each proposal consists of rule changes, administrative changes, changes that they want to see in baseball, and they try to reach an agreement. And if they don't, the commissioner kind of has the authority to do what he wants. And because of that, there are three things that if the Players Association and the league don't come to an agreement that the commissioner proposed last year that will likely be implemented going into this season. So I'll go through all three of them, and then we'll dissect them one at a time. The first one is a 20-second pitch clock. The second one is a reduction of mound visits that you can have in a game from 6 to 5. And finally, a rule placing a base runner on second base in spring training games in the All-Star game 
when the score is tied after 10 innings. So we'll start with the first one. 20-second pitch clock for or against it. What is it in college baseball? It's like it's 45 seconds, right? I've never had good enough seats to sit behind home plate <laughs> to see the clock on the outfield wall. <laughs> oh, God. I, I don't know what it is in college baseball off the top of my head, but it, it, that's fine. I don't have a huge issue with that. That and that will definitely improve your pace of play if you got you know, these guys who I got to adjust my batting gloves and everything, every pitch. Now get them back in the box. Yeah, I don't know. They implemented one in college baseball that I believe is thirty. Maybe okay. it's forty-five. I've never actually noticed, but it's never really been an issue. It's never come into effect. I've never seen it called since it was implemented. But college baseball does move faster. Side note here, by the way, Bill in Columbus and Lisa in Brookhaven send us uh, that it's still 80 degrees where they are right now. So in Columbus, it's still 81 and 82 in Brookhaven. But tonight, guys, it's going to just drop like crazy. I mean, very unique weather situation. But back on the point, college baseball is just faster inherently. And I'm I'm with Haydad. Major League Baseball can be so slow – in between pitches, you'll have a guy throw a pitch and the batter will back out of the box, adjust a glove, adjust another glove, do a practice swing, spit whatever he's got in his mouth out, look at his hitting coach, take forever to step back into the box and do his little shimmy and and then he's ready to hit. <laughs> I hear shimmy and I think of Major League too. Parkman does his little shimmy. It makes the women here in Cleveland puke. Love it. Go ahead. Um, and then the guy will throw a pitch, maybe, or he'll step off of the rubber and you know adjust his hat, and then get back in and shake off his catcher a few times. It just takes forever for the action in baseball to occur. If they forced cut that time down, the games would speed up. Not significantly, wouldn't change the game, but the games would speed up a little bit. You would have more action, and these fringe sports fans that you're trying to to get back you've got your base that's never leaving but to get these fringe fans back speeding up the game's a big factor and that won't change the complexion of the game at all but it will speed up the action a little bit i'm all for it but they're changing the wrong thing like the 15 25 seconds in between pitches isn't what's killing them it's all the time between innings and all of that stuff it's all of that dead so time. you'd rather see them cut down the time in between innings cut down the length of mound visits and let's move on to the second one since you're on that limiting mound visits from six a game to five a game what's a larger amount of time the time between pitches in an inning or all of that like, I, mean, I don't think the time between pitches is costing them that much time in the grand scheme of things. I think it's one of those things where I mean, you think about a mound visit and you're like, oh, this is taking forever, taking forever, because it, it's long, right? And you don't consider that between pitches, I mean, it's just cumulative. You know, yeah, it's only 15, 20 seconds per pitch, but when you do that over the course of the game, you, you've added another 30, 40 minutes. But you already have a pitch clock in college baseball, and it's never really come into play at all. Well, umpires in college, too, make a – I don't know if you've ever, since you're covering the games, mostly, Rippy, umpires, if they're mic'd up or, or there's a microphone nearby, you can hear them tell a batter, stay in the box. They'll scream it at him. Stay in the box. Stay in the box. So a batter has to keep his foot in the box or the umpire will yell at him. Like, college baseball makes more of an effort to not have that be a problem, I think, than Major League Baseball. 
I mean, maybe, but you still have four-and-a-half-hour games against Pine Bluff Tech on a Tuesday night. I don't think it's really solved yeah. that. Well, I mean, that, isn't that a lot, of, a lot of that because you're beating Pine Bluff Tech 18-5, to and it's just a lot of a lot of batters going to the to the order. A lot I of mean, pitchers sh- that can't throw strikes as well. Yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, you're changing pitch, especially those. You know, think about like some of these teams, like Alcorn and Jackson State. When you play them, you just know that you're going to see seven, eight pitchers from them, and there's no way around it. And State's going to do, and State and Ole Miss are going to do the same thing. They're going to, you know, Cohen when he was the coach, and I, I'm trying to think last year. I don't remember as much, but you know, he was notorious for he would pitch six or seven guys he you know first inning guy would go three up three down no problems enough he's coming out he's coming out because we're going to change pitchers and, and get some guys some innings so a few texts here gary meridian says if the rule passes uh enforcement of that would be an issue agree no i mean enforcement of it would be an issue how I think Brian and Clarksdale is messing with us. He said to speed the the professional baseball game up after two strikes, a foul ball is a third strike. You save money on baseballs, but poor fans get less souvenirs. Well, you can go watch softball if you want that. <laughs> Wait, is that true? Nah, I think it's something. Third like strike that. foul or two strike foul balls and out in softball. Let me double check that. Thank you. No, I don't. I'm pretty sure that's. Yeah, not. I think you're crazy. It could be. Just saying. And then finally, this one, they're testing this. So initially I said it's the runner on second in the 10th inning of spring training games or the all-star game. I think they're testing that to see if it would be feasible in regular season games in baseball. Putting a runner on second base, I said 10th inning, in the 11th inning of a tie game to expedite scoring to end the game it sounds crazy it probably is crazy but here's the counter i'll give you in professional football there's no ties in the playoffs right there's no ties right but there is in the regular season there are differences with the way you handle overtime in other sports in the regular season versus the playoffs And in a 162-game season, instead of killing your bullpen to win a 20-inning game, which I know that doesn't happen often, but speeding up the end of regular season games, I don't think will be met with as much criticism as you initially expect. Is that fair? Baseball is the only sport where the extra time is the exact same as the regular time. The point of overtime is to expedite the process and get people off the field, prevent injuries, get them home. I mean, there's no other sport where the, the extra time is the exact same thing. I mean, I know soccer, you have extra periods, and then it eventually leads to penalty kicks and hockey, too. But football overtime is different. College football overtime is different. I mean, I guess basketball is the same, but it's a five-minute period. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just when I was a kid, I hate to, I hate to, everybody listen to old man hate Ed here, but it, it just wasn't that big a deal. Now, maybe that's because not every game was televised. And, you know, back then going to the ballpark was probably a little bit more of an event. But, you know, it does seem these days that pace of play has become like the number one issue for Major League Baseball. So, you know, they're, they're going to figure something out, and it's going to, it will probably end up changing something fundamental about the game. 
and we'll all gripe about it for a few weeks, and then, you know, it'll just become old hat to us. Interesting stuff. Major League Baseball might be getting down to that. The commissioner has wanted to implement those three things that we just covered, and if the Players Association doesn't come to an agreement with him, according to this article that I read in The Athletic, those are going to be coming to Major League Baseball this season. So that's something to keep an eye on for sure. Up next, we'll stick with baseball, continue on with the preseason All-SEC teams and predicted order of finish as voted on by the coaches around the league as well as the combine invitees from Ole Miss and Mississippi State. All that and more coming up at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Wish you were here. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. It's Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you this afternoon. Richard's off just for today. He will be back for the show tomorrow, getting you ready for a big weekend in SEC basketball, as well as, if you're into this kind of thing, the Expansion Football League, the AAF, begins play on Saturday. Just read where the Arena League is trying to make a comeback. Columbus, Ohio is restarting their old Arena League team, and they expect more to pop up around the country. So a lot of expansion football going on this offseason. I hope they don't oversaturate the market. I know people have tried before and haven't succeeded, but if we can get quality football in February, March, and April, I'm for it. So hopefully it works out. A few texts before we get on to the college baseball front. We have one that says here, I hate the designated hitter. Watching some bloated old-timer who looks like he should be on the pro softball circuit take hacks then hobble around the base path is awful. Perhaps the pitchers will start taking serious BP. Then they won't look so awkward. I promise you, that ain't ever happening. It'll never happen, yeah. There were a couple games where Big Poppy had to play defense due to substitutions, and that was terrible. Hard to argue with that. No, you're, no he's, he's right about all that. J.D. in Cleveland says, don't worry so much about the action. The slow pace is what makes it America's pastime. That's the beauty of baseball. And that's great and all until you get to the postseason and the first pitch is at 8.03. It's 12.45 before you can get to bed from watching a game. Yeah, and I keep bringing this up because it holds true. People like J.D. in, where did I say he was from? Cleveland are baseball purists that will never leave the game. They are there. They love it. They will always be there. Major League Baseball has them as fans forever. Where I think they are failing to tap, and maybe they don't want to, and Richard will make this point, maybe Major League Baseball just doesn't care because they're making a lot of money and it's a niche thing and and they don't want to do anything different because they're making money and, and who cares if you're making money. But if they want to tap in and expand their audience and and get a younger demographic, which is something that they fail miserably at, the young demographic, they will do small things, not to dramatically change the game, but small things definitely to speed it up. Soccer trends more for younger people in viewership. They get the younger demographic better than baseball, partially because the games are two hours and 15 minutes, and that's it. Full stop, signed, sealed, delivered. It's a short game, so it's easier for us millennials who think our lives are so important to consume. They're not, but we like to think that they are. 
if they want to tap into that market, they will find ways to speed up the game a little bit and give it more action. Our attention spans are getting shorter, and even though baseball is in a good spot and maybe they don't want to get that younger demo, if they wanted to, speeding up the game is a very important piece of that puzzle because I'm one of those people, especially on the major league front, I don't have a team. It's not my thing. I don't really care. I would watch more if the games were an hour shorter. I would. I would watch more baseball. But I don't just because I feel like it's an investment, a serious investment of time for a sport that's kind of slow and boring. But I'm a sports fan who will consume it. So I'm the kind of demo that Major League Baseball can tap into by making some minor tweaks. And Paula chimes in and says the pitch clock in college baseball, confirmation, thanks Paula, is 20 seconds in this year. The mound visits by a catcher or an infielder will count against a coach mound visit. Hmm. That's interesting. Thanks for the information there, Paula. And on that note, on the college baseball front, the coaches, which is really probably just the SIDs, released their preseason poll today. Predicted order of finish as well as the all-SEC teams going into the 2019 season. In the East, Vanderbilt was predicted to finish first, followed by Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Missouri in the West. LSU was picked to finish number one with 10 first-place votes. Ole Miss, number two with one first-place votes, 65 total votes. Arkansas, number three with one and 59. Auburn, number four with one and 57. A&M, 5 with 1 and 48. Mississippi State, number 6 with 47. And Alabama, number 10. Or, excuse me. Number 7 with 21. They might as well be 10. They're not going to be good. (laughs) Yeah, they're not going to be very good. So Mississippi State, after coming off of an Omaha run, hiring a new baseball coach, the West is a different animal, but not really getting some preseason respect. Yeah, that, that, and I, I want to ask Rippy because you know I'm always obviously very close to the situation here. Rippy, are you surprised that State is sixth in the West in this preseason poll? Uh, yeah, I am a little bit. Um, but I think a lot of it is more has to do with the West. I mean, oh, it's tough. Ar- yeah, I mean Arkansas, Auburn, and Texas A and M are the three teams separating them from the second spot. And I think it's just a matter of those teams had a little bit more coming back and more continuity because you are talking about a new head coach is on top yeah. of all of that. When but, uh, yeah, the, I was surprised that it was sixth. And when you look at the, the the way the voting, A&M got one first-place vote. If they had been voted second, they would be behind State because they're only one point ahead of State total. So I think A&M got a lot of sixth-place votes, but that one first-place vote has, has elevated them. So you got to look a little deeper there. But that said, I mean – being six in the West might be good enough to be 18th, 19th nationally. You know, it's just it's just that tough. There's there's that many good teams. LSU is one of the best teams in the country. Ole Miss is going to be good. Arkansas is going to bring back a good bit, and they're going to be good. And then A and M and State are there, so we'll see where it's. And Auburn's going to be good too. So it's a little surprising for me to see them at sixth, but I, I you know I, I get it. I guess the league is just so good. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's better this year than it, and I don't know if it, that's just me, but this year it seems like this might this might be a banner year for SEC baseball. Like I'm talking, you know, 
five national seeds and you know and getting to the super regionals maybe having nine of the of the the team maybe having everybody you get in advance to the super regionals i mean they're just that good i mean south carolina is probably good enough to win a lot of conferences but you know they're going to be picked third in their own in in their own division yeah so as far as the old sec go ahead I'll just say it's an interesting dynamic because it's a little down in terms of top level arms, but as far as position players, it's it is loaded. Yeah. There's a lot of hitting this year in the conference. As far as the all SEC teams go, on the first team, just two guys from Mississippi: Cole Zabowski, the first team All SEC preseason, anyway. First baseman, and then shocker of the century, Jake Mangum, for the twelfth time in his career, is the preseason All SEC center fielder. Well, you know, it's it's like a, it's in a, a lifetime achievement award at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just really looking forward to when Jake Mangum and Jake Mangum's son get to play at Mississippi State together. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's so, ever happened in the SEC, but that'll be a really so, cool accolade. And now it's my turn to be surprised about on on the other side of the fence. N- neither team. Where is Thomas Dillard? That's a good question, Rippy. Not not on either one of these teams. I was really surprised to see Tanner Allen, by the way, as second team All SEC. If you were going to pick another guy from MSU, Allen would not have been my first choice. I would have said Rowdy Jordan, maybe Elijah McNamee, maybe Ethan Small, maybe Riley Self. But Al Tanner Allen, who I think is a good player and could take a big step forward in his sophomore year, would not have been my uh, my thought to be second team. All SEC at first base. Yeah, let's run through those quickly. So the second team, which, by the way, has 10 people in their batting lineup. Uh, Tanner Allen was the first baseman. Tyler Keenan at third base for Ole Miss. Chase Cockrell, the DH, and Parker Caracy, the relief pitcher on that team. Rippy, do you think uh, Thomas Dillard was snubbed on these two teams? I don't know. It's just so tough because there's so many power-hitting corner outfielders in the conference yeah. Lot to choose from, but the guy did hit thirteen home runs, fifty nine RBIs, and you know, and a thousand two OPS. So, like, I, I don't know. I, snub's a hard word because there's so many to choose from in the league. I mean, you want to know why I, I think he was snubbed? Because on the first team, the third baseman is Aaron Schunk from Georgia, and he is also the DH for the second team. You only get one time. <laughs> you're on the first team. You're not on the second team. How how silly is that? I mean, if that's the case, the, you know why isn't Mangum the DH on the second team? I didn't know that. It's a new SEC rule that actually says that any player can hit multiple times. What they're going to do now is put uh, a ghost runner. You remember ghost when runner, you played yeah. uh, ball in the yard with your buddies? Yeah, there's a there's a runner on second. I swear that's what we're going to do now. Okay. No. I don't know. That sounds no. like fun. Yeah, well, they would beat I mean, every it's the, rundown. It's, it's the coaches, it's the SIDs. I mean, we're not. This is these yeah. aren't the guys. You know, I'll take the uh, the predictions when we see them from the uh, the media a little bit more seriously, especially you know the national media, the guys like who run D one. When I see something from D one baseball, I'm buying into that. Baseball America, I'm buying into that. The SEC coaches, okay. You want to talk a little NBA next? Or should we save that for a later day, or maybe never? Yeah, I think I bet say we, we really let's get, let's get to this combine <laughs> stuff. That's that's big news. Yeah, it is big news. So Ole Miss and Mississippi State are sending more players to the combine than they ever have combined before. Seventeen players from Mississippi in the combine. We'll tell you who and where they're from next at Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio. 
right, let's look at the combine here. It's a pretty big deal. Big news for the state of Mississippi. But also could be an indication of what should have or what could have been. Ole Miss and Mississippi State combined are sending 17 players to the NFL Combine. 17 players, nine from Ole Miss and eight from Mississippi State. We'll start with the Bulldogs. Jonathan Abram, Deion Calhoun, even though they list him as something else. Hey, Dad. What are the, I didn't see this. They just, where, where, where am I looking at this list? They used a, uh, a different name. I'll, I'll pull it up for you uh, as I continue on. Just they, they listed him as something that I've never seen before. I had to make I had to look it up to make sure that I was actually like on the press release, like like on the NFL's website. All right, hold on. I'm I'm gonna go look. Yeah. So hey, that'll do that. Nick Fitzgerald got the invite. Gary Green. Jenkins, the offensive lineman, Mark McLaurin, Jamal Peters, and Montez Sweat are all going to be participating in the combine for Mississippi State and for Ole Miss. The trio of wide receivers, Brown, Metcalf, and Lodge. Tight end Dawson Knox got the invite. Greg Little, the offensive tackle, Javon Patterson, the guard, Jordan Ta'amu got an invite. Ken Webster, the defensive back, and Zedrick Woods, the safety. So it's big. De- it's a big deal. It's big news. <laughs> it's just his nickname. Okay. Shaq. Shaq is his nickname. His his Twitter handle is like Shaq205. Okay. I saw that and thought, wait. I don't know I, if I that's thought his, I knew I don't know, Mississippi I don't know if State's football is. roster pretty well, but I've never heard of this guy before. Now you got me wondering what his middle name is, if it's Shaquille or something like that. <laughs> but, yeah, so it's a good thing. It's a big deal. It's 17 not, players could potentially get drafted. They're going to be working out on the biggest stage in front of the most scouts. It's a great opportunity for those individual players. Yeah. First off, nickname is Shaq because which was given to him because he's a really good basketball player. Oh, fair enough. That's for per the image per hailstate.com. Uh yeah. Uh and obviously you know think about, you know, there should be one more guy here, right? Jeff Simmons. If if he if yeah. he, he would have been invited, uh if not for the uh, the arrest prior to his enrollment at Mississippi State. So it would be nine, nine, eighteen players from the state of Mississippi, which is just incredible. Uh, for MSU, for me, what stands out, Nick Fitzgerald, right? Got to see, you know, obviously not going to play. I don't think he's going to play quarterback at the next level. So what does he do in the 40? Did they have him out there running routes and letting him, get, you know, get some opportunities with the wide receivers? What What is he going to be doing at the combine as he tries to find a future in pro football? Teams are going to want to watch him do other things. Right. I don't even – I wonder if they'll even let him throw. I imagine they will, but it's going to be one of those things like you can throw, but we also want you to run some routes. Yeah. So we'll and, see how that, how that pans out for and them. Here's some perspective on how many people this is. So Alabama and Clemson lead the country with 11 players going to the combine. Ohio State at 10, Georgia, Ole Miss, and Washington at 9, Florida, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, A&M, and Wisconsin with 8. That is an indication of what kind of talent you had. Mm-hmm. And while it's good, and the draft will be good publicity for Mississippi, Ole Miss and Mississippi State alike, those 17 players lost 12 games in 2018. Yeah. That sort of segues nicely into our next segment. Yeah, on that note. So here's what we're going to do next. Rippy and Hey Dad and myself 
are going to turn the page and look back to the 2018 season and then everything that's happened since. We're going to assign grades. It's uh, not a unique thing to us, but we're going to assign two grades. What we're going to do is, for Mississippi State and for Ole Miss both, specifically Joe Moorhead and Matt Luke, we will give a letter grade, like all the Ds that Hey Dad got in school. Oh! (laughs) We're going to give a letter grade to Joe Moorhead and Matt Luke for the 2018 season, and then also everything that they have done since. So both signing days and the staff turnover. This probably will negatively impact the grades we give them, but I think also, especially for the Ole Miss side of things, because Mississippi State still went to a respected bowl game and had the number one defense in the country. I think from the Ole Miss side of things, it gives you a clear indicator of, one, the flawed recruiting strategy from the previous coaching staff, and two, how incredibly vitally important it was for Matt Luke to change his offensive coordinator. So we'll get into that next. We will also receive your texts on the matter. Get your grades. If you want to grade Matt yeah. Luke and Joe Moorhead, send it to us, 601-879-4395. What is your grade for the season, the 2018 season, for Matt Luke and Joe Moorhead, and then everything that has happened since? Separate the two. So the 2018 season, both signing days, as well as the staff turnover since then. Send them to us, 601-879-4395. Grade. Matt Luke and Joe Moorhead. We will do that next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Five o'clock hour on this Thursday afternoon at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you this afternoon. And if you're just joining us, we teased before the break that we're going to grade in two different ways. Joe Moorhead and Matt Luke. We're going to do the 2018 season because we've yet to do that overall, to tell you the truth, even though it is February 7th. But in honor of the signing classes being officially official, we're going to grade the 2018 season and juxtapose that with a grade that we give for everything they've done since the conclusion of that season. So separate grades, separate things. On one, you've got the actual season. On the other, you've got your two signing days as well as how they handled the coaching staff turnover. This kind of made me laugh, but there's some truth behind it. You got a text in from the 256 that said D- minus to all. That was the first text we received today. A little bit more nuance to that. We got one that says Matt Luke, B+, Joe Moorhead, C+. Matt Luke, C. That's an MSU fan. Joe Moorhead, D-. minus. Somebody says, no grades for USM. What happened to your USM coverage? We will do this with Luke tomorrow. But I don't know if you want me to give the Southern Miss off-season grade, at least to this point, because there was a (laughs) big old disaster, at least from a PR perspective, over the last couple of days. But the program's still in good shape, and they're still going to win a bunch of football games, and everything will be fine. Will and Eupora says, Moorhead overall 85. 69 for play calling. He wanted to make sure it was a C. Or because a C seemed too high, so a high D. And 100 for the defense and the Shoop higher end performance. So let's start with Mississippi State, hey, Dad. Okay. Got a few tweets as well. We'll get to those here in a second. Mississippi State, the 2018 season in isolation, what letter grade would you give to Joe Moorhead and why? 
C. And then that's, I feel like I'm being a little generous because defense, I mean, that was a, an incredible MSU defense. They, they, they were the number one defense in the country statistically, and you lost five games with them somehow. Um, and, and all five of those games that you lost, you lost because you couldn't do anything offensively, which is supposed to be Moorhead's forte. You know, he was brought in to be an offensive guru, a savant is what John Cohen called him. And it, we didn't see it this year. Now, you can blame personnel if you want, but it's a coach's job to get around the limitations of your personnel. And if the personnel, if, if Nick Fitzgerald was the problem, then I don't know where you're going because obviously Keaton Thompson wasn't viewed as a solution. So I'm going to go with, with a C, a solid C for Joe Moorhead in year one. Hey, fair enough, because... Even though the team didn't meet expectations, like you said, especially offensively, they still fielded the number one defense, and not just statistically. Find me a school that would have traded definitively. I'm not talking about Ask a Clemson fan. I mean, straight up, that defense is better than the one at Mississippi State. There isn't one. You would probably say that Clemson or Alabama had defenses that are comparable, although I don't think Mississippi State would have gotten torched by Clemson the way Alabama did, but that's neither here nor there. There is no better defense in 2018 college football than Mississippi State's, but that number one defense somehow lost five games. No, no be, be, the team lost it. Yeah, but you get but my point. The defense didn't lose a single game. They, they had a, they had a number one defense that lost five games. Yeah, that, that's yeah. You had you lost five games with a number one defense is how I would put it. And it's going to get a little bit more difficult next year. You lose a couple of guys from the offensive line. They didn't sign. Well, even though Javante Payton should be a instant plug and play type receiver, they didn't sign. They didn't get Mingo, for example. They, they didn't compensate for the lack of receiver play last year. They still have an elite running back. I mean that, that that's a given. They'll have a stable of those actually there, but. That's the concern, is the no adjustment on offense and kind of wasting the number one defense in college football. Yeah. Flipping it over, since then, since the end of the Egg Bowl where they won 35-3 to and dominated their in-state rival on the road, how would you grade it since? Probably still a C, to be honest. I think the coaching stuff... You know, he lost four coaches to better opportunities. Two went to Alabama. That's a better job than Mississippi State. One went to the NFL. That's obviously going to be a better – and the Green Bay Packers. And then one got a head coaching job. And I was impressed with how quickly he was able to fill those voids. Normally, you think about coaching searches, sometimes they drag out. Uh, basically, State had new guys in place within a few days of all of these departures. So that was, that was particularly impressive. From a recruiting standpoint, I thought the class was – you know, a pretty typical Mississippi State class. But Joe Moorhead has, has given us this idea of good to great. This class, to me, doesn't take you from good to great. It doesn't get you any closer to beating Alabama. It doesn't get you any closer to being able to consistently beat LSU and, and you know, get into the top tier of the conference. So it's a good class. It's not that it's a bad class. It's, it's good, but it's not great. So, you know, and when you think about the, 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 the kind of talent that was in the state this year, to only get five of the top 20, that's a little disappointing for a program that's made so much had so much success with Mississippi kids. So I'm going to say a C. And we've gotten a bunch of those on the text line and on Twitter. You get 
somebody like Wes on our Twitter page that that gave him a D plus. But most people are around to see. You know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't a disaster. But the the season itself, like we said, just missed opportunities. And and then in the recruiting side, top twenty five class, but didn't capitalize on the state of Mississippi being as good as it was. And Ole Miss didn't do that either, generally speaking. You had some staff turnover, which the jury will still be out on whether or not those were upgrades because it's position right. coaches. The, the one benefit for Mississippi State is they, they didn't lose a coordinator. And I know what you're thinking. Wait, Borky. Yes, they did. Yeah, they no, didn't they didn't. Them. They lost an offensive coordinator in name only. Joe Moorhead is the one that... title, the title of offensive yeah. coordinator. An OCINO, an OCINO, offensive coordinator in name only. And very, Bob Shoup, like the guy that coached the number one defense in America, is back, and he's got a track record of doing that. That wasn't a flash in the pan. Yes, they had no. really good talent on that side of the ball, obviously, but he did it at places like Vanderbilt. So the, he's got the pedigree there to back up. M- MSU's defense will surprise next year. People are going to think, "Oh, let's take a big step back." It's not. It will not. It will. I bet you right now, if I, you put me on the record, it will still be a top twenty-five defense. Fair enough. Fair enough. And so the jury's, I guess, still out on the the assistance, just because we won't know until we see the product on the field. But his initial hire, a defensive coordinator, was a home run. So C's are about what everybody's thinking. Rippy, is that fair? For State? For Joe Moorhead specifically in Mississippi State. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. I mean, what as if you're thinking in terms of like actual grades, a C's pretty average run of the mill and that's what the season was, was it not? I mean, they won most of the games they were supposed to win, not all. So, yeah, that makes sense, pretty average. Yeah, and then it's a a bigger problem, but the the in-state recruiting Ole Miss and Mississippi State just could not capitalize on the high-end talent here in the state, but I mean, look, Georgia went into Alabama and took the two top players in the state of Alabama from the backyard of Auburn and college football's most efficient and consistently best program in the last decade. So if Georgia's going to come to Mississippi and try to do the same thing, it's a little hard to hold that against <coughs> Moorhead and Luke, isn't it? I think the the, the biggest question with, with you talk, if you're talking about like N'Kobe Dean is why was State not even in the game? You know, state state couldn't even get a hat on the table. So you know, you think about the the the, the defensive players MSU has put in the NFL the past few years, having the number one defense. You think that would be attractive to a player? Now maybe he just wanted to go out of state all along, and if that's the case, so be it. But it's 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 disconcerting that you didn't you weren't even in you weren't really even in the game for him. Yeah. Six zero one eight seven nine forty three ninety five. Text us. Give us your grade. Six zero one eight seven nine forty three ninety five. Uh, we do get one here that's a uh, bill from Soso says he wants to first of all say to you, hey dad, well said. Um, but Bill continues and says he's not sure he should get a C because he did not make the defense and the offense should have been able to score. So he gives him a D. I mean, I, I can't really argue with that. But he's honest. still the head coach over that defense. So right, he gets credit for putting together the staff and and having the continuity. Uh, he gets that. But he does not get – he can't get full credit for the defense. But that said, you know, 
I don't know. The the offense was supposed to be his his forte, and and you did not see it this year. We'll see if we see it next year. We'll turn the page to Ole Miss next, and I think this one, the discrepancy between the two, are going to be pretty vast. So, text us. What do you think? First of all, 601-879-4395. Give us your grades. 2018 season for Matt Luke, and then everything that has happened since. Two grades, 2018 season, everything that has happened since. We'll get to your text. We'll give our thoughts on that next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Turning the page, giving grades to Ole Miss now, and before the break I said the dramatic difference between the season and the offseason in grades is going to be um, pretty significant. Robert from Oak Grove says, Matt Luke, C for the season, A- minus for the offseason. Brad and Burnsville, F for the season, but A for staff hires and recruiting. So, Rippey, let's start with you. The 2018 season alone, how would you grade it out? C minus. I teetered on D plus, but given everything that was kind of going on going into the season, anything, everything the program had endured the last couple years, I'll give them a slight benefit of the doubt. I mean, they beat two Power 5 programs. You lost your last five games. You had a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball, not a ton on the defensive side. But the defense played in a manner in which it really wasn't possible to just blame it on talent alone. So I will go C-minus for the season. I was leaning kind of the same, but I'll go straight down to D. You played your best football in week one. And you had multiple games against conference opponents that you had won, should have won, failed to do so. I mean, even though it wasn't a Matt Luke thing per se, but your offensive coordinator every week, to the media would say we don't make any adjustments in game and we're not going away from our plan despite the plan not working in the second half of basically every game of of the season there there were a lack of in-game adjustments I, I know fans definitely wanted to see more um risks and in ingenuity in a, in a bowl ban year where you had nothing to lose it they were too conservative at times and like i said the team played their best ball in week one and their worst ball late in the season um, a lot of a lot of bad things happened in the 2018 season, and now you're sending nine guys to the combine off of that team. Even though, side note here, a perfect indication of exactly what was flawed with his predecessor's recruiting strategy: sending three wide receivers to the combine, but didn't sign but one blue chip linebacker in six years. Uh, the offensive heavy and the position heavy leaving holes on the other side of the ball put. Matt Luke into a hole that you can't just climb out of in a year. And even though they signed to number seven classes, according to rivals in the freeze era, there was also a lot of valleys. The average recruiting ranking under Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss was 22, and that was the class that they signed yesterday. So pretty clear indication of it was a bigger hole than people even expected. However, I gave it – I think it's a D-plus for the season – you beat Texas Tech, you won five games, you were in a lot of games, but the fact that you didn't close out games that you should have won, especially late in the season, and the offense, despite all that talent, was not very good, that's just kind of how those 
things shake out. However, since the conclusion of the Egg Bowl, Rippy, everything that has happened, the two signing classes, the firing of one coordinator, the helpful push out of the door with another coordinator and signing a top 22 class, depending on the service you look at, how would you grade the offseason so far? I'll go B+. Plus. Um, You know, you get rid of both coordinators. They did, you know, with the defensive coordinator, you did so swiftly the day after the Egg Bowl. I thought the process for hiring both coordinators was well thought out and organized. And, you know, with the defensive coordinator, he went straight from plan A to plan B and got it done in a timely manner. Took more of his time on the offensive coordinator, but I think came up with a, we'll call it somewhat creative hire, if nothing else and surrounded himself with a lot of head coaching experience for a guy that has none. He took, you know, that to me says he took a little bit, or not a little bit, he took ego out of the equation and, you know, tried to surround himself with the best people he could possibly get to help him win games and help him be a better head coach. You still whiffed on a lot of the top talent in the state during the early signing period. They closed well yesterday, flipped a couple kids, met a couple defensive needs. So I think B-plus is pretty appropriate. Yeah, that's fair enough. And I've said it before on this show. I said it in an interview this morning, and I'll say it 100 times before the season begins. I think people are going to be absolutely shocked with how different the defense looks schematically. They're To, to call McIntyre versus McGriff an upgrade is not fair to the phrase upgrade. There will... The talent on the defensive side of the ball for Ole Miss was not there to compete in the SEC, right? Fair statement. Wasn't there. But there's no way you can convince me that that was 125th in the country bad. Schematically, the upgrade between McGriff and McIntyre will surprise a lot of people with just how poor they were a year ago. So that was a big upgrade. On the other side of the ball, same thing. Same thing. There was no excuse for for that offense with that talent to be that stagnant against bad teams, let alone the good ones that they faced a year ago. So the, the ability for Matt Luke to, like you said, put the ego aside, hire two guys that have been coaches of the year, head coaches of the year, one of them just a couple of years ago, and come in and, and let them do their thing Dramatic upgrades at the coordinator position, absolutely, without a doubt. The team at least should be coached better next year versus in 2018. Does it translate to more wins? We'll see. But as far as scheme especially, you will be shocked at how poor it was in 2018. Even on the offense that still put up gaudy numbers. Did I miss your grade in there? I agreed with you. B plus. Okay, so you went B plus too. Yeah, yeah they're, they're I mean, recruiting class, it's good, all, all things considered. Yes, they missed a lot of guys. They, they missed on a lot of Mississippi guys. It's the early signing period going over at the time. A lot of people were saying unacceptable, and and it was missing all those top guys. But the way they closed made up for it. I mean, coming off of a, a five and seven year, a bull band year, not a whole lot of momentum, and you close with the number twenty two class, and uh, you flip. A guy from Arkansas, an impact linebacker, you get a receiver. It's a good recruiting class. I think Luke called it a foundation class. You're not going to win the SEC recruiting number 22 every year, but it didn't bottom out, and it could have, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. 
Yeah, and I think you may still see a little bit of a bottoming out in terms of on the field next year because I do think they're going to struggle to some degree. But in terms of like the personnel and the the talent level off the field, I agree it didn't bottom out when it could have because, like I said yesterday, there was a lot more ways yesterday could have gone badly for them than go well. And so them being able to hold it together is something. So, yeah, I mean, I I think all in all they did pretty well in terms of the offseason. Yeah, and look, like we said, twenty eight the, the football season 2018 did not go well. It didn't. It, it looked downright ugly at times. It, it really did. But there needs to be some credit given to the fact that the program did not bottom out. Two bowl bans should have wrecked the place. The NCAA investigation should have wrecked the place. Hugh Freeze resigning in shame probably should have wrecked the place. But it didn't. Is it the same? Are they going to win a Sugar Bowl next year? Absolutely not. But the place didn't get wrecked. Credit is due in that regard. And at least there seems to be more of a long-term path. Like, now you can clearly see that 2019 is a rebuilding year. Two new coordinators in place new quarterback like there are going to be some growing pains but at least there appears to be a bit of a long-term path back up yeah an organization which is something they lacked for the back half of freeze's tenure it'll be interesting because the first month is going to really define the trajectory of the entire season first two weeks yeah, I mean, you could really narrow it down. First three, three, four weeks of the season, you'll you'll know. I mean, you'll know by the end of September how how things are going to go record wise. Fair enough. So we a bunch of your texts, bunch of your tweets came in. Um, one question: What bowl would be acceptable for Ole Miss next year? Probably any, any of them. Any. Yeah bowl one 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 where they play a game. <laughs> Any kind of bowl. Is, is it sort of similar to 2012 where, yeah, you're going to the Birmingham Bowl, but they'll send 30,000 people there because they're just happy to be back in a bowl game if it happens? I mean, if they get there, yeah. Yeah. I, I would think so. Yeah. Actually, I, I don't know. It depends on what the wins are and how the season goes because I think a lot of 2012 was what games they were in and who they beat. Yeah. And that's another thing that they've got to show. I'm telling you that the schematic improvement will blow your mind because of how bad they were last year, and and they will be the opposite this year. But they've got to be in some of these games. They can't get beat 66 to seven by Alabama. Got to compete. You don't have to beat them. Just compete. Bring yourself back to respectable competition against teams that you're not supposed to beat in 2019. And even the games like LSU and Auburn where the score wasn't necessarily that awful, but you weren't ever really in the game. Yeah. Fair enough. Those are our grades. Big year coming up for Ole Miss. Important year for both guys. Things have to go right for Ole Miss and Mississippi State football in 2019. I imagine between now and September, we'll talk a lot about that. It's just an inkling of mine. More coming up at Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.